The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Civil War Talk Radio with host Jerry Prokopovich. Our program covers all aspects of Civil War history, from the battlefields to the home fronts, and features guest experts, plus insight from your host as they discuss the most critical period in American history. Now, here is your host, Jerry Prokopovich. Thanks and welcome to Civil War Talk Radio. I'm Jerry Prokopovich. If you've had the opportunity to travel in the eastern half of the U.S. and visit Civil War sites, you know that there's no better way to enhance your understanding of what happened there than to go in person. But as long as you're going to travel to Civil War places, there's no better way to do that than with a guide who understands warfare, understands history, and knows how to teach about it. Few people hit that trifecta, but our guest tonight is one. He is Brigadier General, U.S. Army, retired John W. Mountcastle. And Jack Mountcastle will be telling us tonight about his Civil War travel experiences on Civil War Talk Radio. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. Now you can take your favorite Voice America radio program with you anywhere. Sign up for our mobile app if you have an iPhone, Android, or BlackBerry. The Voice America interactive radio player, powered by Aircast, gives you the freedom to listen to any of our programs anywhere, live, and on demand. No registration is required. Listen to your favorite Voice America hosts and discover new ones. Download the Voice America mobile app for iPhone, Android, or BlackBerry. Powered by Aircast. Visit the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. You are listening to Civil War Talk Radio. If you have a question or comment about our program, please send an email to prokopovichg at ecu dot edu. That's P-R-O-K-O-P-O-W-I-C-Z-G at ecu dot edu. Now, back to Civil War Talk Radio. And welcome to Civil War Talk Radio. I'm Jerry Prokopovich, coming to you as usual from the third floor of the Brewster Building in on the campus of East Carolina University in Greenville, North Carolina, where it is a very rainy Wednesday evening in the autumn, October of 2014. But though I am sitting here in my office, I'm not speaking for the university or any of its subsections or oversight departments just for myself, and likewise our guests will do the same as we always do on Civil War Talk Radio. 
Well, it's October 15th, 2014, which means first order of business is to say happy birthday to my daughter, Maria, who turns 19 today and is home waiting to open her presents. As soon as the show is over, I'll dash back there and help her do that or observe her doing that. should be fun. Uh, Otherwise, it's uh, the middle of the fall semester. We just finished our fall break here at ECU, and I will be uh, had a chance to visit with the show's number one fan and live listener, my mother, who hopefully is listening tonight, and I got to spend a very nice weekend with her and my brother and sister-in-law and uh, my niece. Uh, so hello to all of them uh, who are listening, if any are. Last time we spoke a week ago, I mentioned, uh, and I know this has been on everybody's mind, that I was getting my right knee looked at, uh, MRI, to find out why it hurts all the darn time. And the doctor has nothing to say, says everything looks good. So I don't think it's my imagination, but I'll just go out and play destructive levels of adult soccer until something worse happens and then say, I told you so. But in the meantime, I'm cleared to play. So that's good news. Well, there's always interesting, to my way of thinking, uh, weird stuff happening here at the bureaucracy of East Carolina University, but we're going to skip that this week and instead uh, tell you about the shows that are coming up and ask you, uh, listeners, uh, your thoughts on a potential future show. We have... uh, Interesting programs lined up in the immediate future. Next week, Jamie Malinowski, who's been uh, writing or blogging for the New York Times since the sesquicentennial started, uh, will be with us. He's got a book of his own on Commander Will Cushing. And we've got William Still, uh, expert on Confederate ironclads and other sunken ships of the Civil War. He's the founding director of East Carolina's program in maritime studies. In November, on the 5th, Caroline Janey uh, from Purdue University will be talking about memory and the Civil War. Her book is called Remembering the Civil War. Then we've got Michael Stevenson, a author about uh, author of a new production that uh, produced by the Smithsonian Institute, and it includes 3D uh, stereoscopic photographs from the Civil War. On the 19th, as we get to the day of the Gettysburg Address, we have Leslie Gordon. Uh, her book on the 16th Connecticut is brand new, actually not even out yet, I don't think. should be out shortly, so you'll be the first to hear about that. And then it's Thanksgiving, and we'll have a few more shows before the end of the academic year. One possible academic show uh, that we... Uh, might do uh, crossed my uh, inbox today. Let's see if we can find it here on the uh, on the email screen. The topic is beards of the Civil War. Uh, specifically, uh, the book title is "Badass Civil War Beards." It is based on a blog of the same name by two sisters, uh, the Hyder sisters. I've not been spent any time on that particular website, so I don't really know anything about what they've had to say there. Uh, looks like it could be entertaining. On the other hand, uh, are there limits to the uh, 
depth depth trivia about the Civil War to which listeners in which listeners are interested. I don't know. I guess I'll look more at the press release and the press kit and find out more about uh, these authors and their work. But I want to open up to uh, listeners. Send me an email. The uh, announcer repeats the address uh, ad nauseum each week, so you, you know where to send it. Uh, are you interested in learning about badass Civil War beards? And there's an illustration of, uh, wait for it, you know who it's going to be. Of course, Ambrose Burnside, or at least the lower half of his face uh, on the press kit. If you would like me to talk with these authors about Civil War beards, by golly, I'll do it. Uh, if there's no interest in this, I won't. If I don't hear from anyone, I'll make up my own mind. But that's a possible future guest appearance on the show. And I was, I mean, there are some I know, you see the book and think, oh, that's interesting. We've got to have her on or him on the show right away. And others uh, come along and I think, well, no, we're not going to do that one. And this one, I just thought, well, let's ask the listeners, uh, is that something we ought to do here? Uh, If you want to hear about Civil War Beards, let me know, and that's what we're going to do. Well, we're not going to do that tonight. Tonight we're going to talk about uh, Civil War sites. Speaking of Civil War websites, the obligatory mention, www.impedimentsofwar.org. Don't forget to go there to find out, indeed, if we're going to learn about Civil War beards or not. Uh, That's the place to go to find out who's going to be on the show next. Tonight on the show, our guest is John W. Jack Mountcastle. Uh, Jack is a native born and raised in Richmond, Virginia, capital of the Confederacy, a graduate of uh, VMI, and an Army officer uh, beginning in 1966. He, uh, in his Army career, commanded tank units at all levels from platoon through armored brigade, served twice in Vietnam, spent a total of 10 years in Germany during the Cold War, and has also uh, earned an MA and PhD from Duke University. He's taught military history at West Point. Uh, He was promoted to Brigadier General in 1994 and has served as the Army's Chief of Military History. Uh, We'll talk more about what he's done since then, but let's bring him on to the show. Uh, Jack, are you there? Hey, Jerry, how are you? Hey, uh, I just want to say, as a as a fan of Civil War Talk Radio, it's a great pleasure to be able to uh, participate in what I think is one of the best opportunities for a, a broad range of people who just really want to uh, to delve a little deeper into our uh, amazing past. Well, I'm delighted you can be on the show. And let me say, uh, before I forget, thank you for your service uh, on behalf of uh, all uh, Americans listening, we're grateful for that. Uh, you, you and I met on a Matterhorn tour this past summer. I'd seen your name uh, in the Matterhorn literature as one of the specialists who, who accompanies these bus tours of Civil War sites, but our paths hadn't crossed until then. Uh, so, at the risk of trying the listener's patience, let me start with a quick personal question: uh, How is our mutual friend uh, Joanne? The uh, the the guide supreme of, of, of Matterhorn doing these days? <laughs> well, I must tell you, uh, 
Joanne uh, West is up at, uh, at Gettysburg today. Um, the historian uh, working with her on this large group of 30 uh, mm. uh, Matterhorn travelers, uh, great numbers of them from west of the Mississippi again. Uh, we, we love to see these folks come in from Oregon, Washington, uh, Arizona, California, and so forth. Um, but unfortunately, <laughs> I think if they, if they walk the, the land over which uh, Pickett and Pettigrew's uh, divisions assaulted on the 3rd of July, they would have had to have uh, uh, hip waders on today because it's raining Absolutely. all day long up at Gettysburg. But, oh, dear. Uh, I am I'm pulling for them. The weather forecast uh, here in Virginia is getting better and better for the rest of the week. And as, of course, you know, they'll, they'll come down tomorrow and uh, uh, cross the Potomac uh, into the Old Dominion and then spend a couple of days looking at some very interesting uh, uh, battlefield sites and, and areas that really talk not so much to to the battlefield per se, but the, the life of people living in and around uh, uh, Virginia during the American Civil War. And so I, I think they're in for a very, very good time before they uh, make their final day's visits to Appomattox Courthouse. Well, it, it is the uh, the Matterhorn tour. And I should point out, I'm not paid by Matterhorn. This is not meant to sound like a commercial, but it. Uh, uh, I guess I was paid when I led the tour, but uh, uh, not not a standing spokesperson for them. It's just a great way to visit uh, historic sites, to, to go on a bus and have someone like Jack uh, accompany you for a week. You really get to, uh, to see these places uh, up close, and in sequence, you get an immersion. Uh, Jack, my experience with the, these tours uh, as... Uh, you know, sometimes I feel like I should be paying them uh, just to be able to go along. To be immersed for a, a solid week in these sites really gives you a perspective that you don't get even just making a one-day trip. Uh, do you still get that effect from it? Oh, Jerry, I, I could not agree more because um, when I was uh, fortunate enough to be able to uh, accompany you for the last uh, portion of the tour on which you were serving as their guide and their historian, uh, I watched those people that were traveling with you uh, earlier this summer. Um, you had managed to pull them into the discussion. They were not passive uh, listeners. They were, you know, they were bouncing ideas off one another. There was nothing that they could ask that, uh, you know, got any sort of, oh, what a dumb question, response. It was everybody uh, working together to get a better sense of, uh, of what uh, 19th century America was like. And I think that uh, at least my observation was they were thoroughly enjoying the opportunity to interact with you and with one another and the, and the uh, uh, young, young people like that young Confederate interpreter that uh, uh, visited with your group, uh, Jason Spellman, down there at, uh, at Pamplin Park, the mm-hmm. National Museum of the Civil War Soldier, who just, you know, absolutely became, I think, in the eyes of most of, uh, most of your travelers, uh, the you know the the, the GI Joe of of uh, eighteen sixty five. Yeah, he he did a great job. He was he was very good at at uh, portraying that. Well, let me ask. Um, and I know we're here to talk about the Civil War, and, and but I do want to ask a little bit about your own background. Mm-hmm. Um, you were the chief of military history in nineteen nineties. 
And I, I recall that that office offered a, uh, a dissertation fellowship uh, That's right. to a, a lot of people. And I was fortunate to get one of those, uh, I think, in the late 80s when uh, Harold Nelson was the… Right, uh, my predecessor, Hal Nelson. Yeah. And, and, and Hal's been on this show, uh, a, a great historian and great person to talk to. Did you get to interact with a lot of uh, people in the field through through that kind of program and other things when you were doing? Oh, in, indeed. Uh, when you uh, had that office? Supported with uh, by uh, Dr. Jeffrey Clark, who was the the, mm-hmm. the, uh, the the chief civilian historian assigned to the Army Center of Military History there in Washington. Um, Dr. Clark um, and uh, a panel uh, of uh, historians... Uh, dependent in large measure on what we call, in typical Army jargon, the day hack, which stood for Department <laughs> of the Army Historical uh, Advisory Committee. And these were first-rate uh, historians from, uh, typically from academia, but, but not in every case. Uh, <laughs> we, had, uh, we had some outstanding popular historians. Rick Atkinson was a member <laughs> of our advisory committee, and they would review the applicants for... Uh, the uh, dissertation fellowships, and and I was fortunate enough to have the opportunity to meet each and every one of the young men and women uh, that came through the office, making their uh, their uh, their official <laughs> office call, as you might say, before right. uh, launching themselves into another uh, you know challenging year of research. And, and it was always a great pleasure to find out what they were working on, what their their thesis was. Uh, and, and and how they got involved in the subject that they were so very interested in. Yeah, I remember it, at the time, like just being, you know, overawed by the whole experience as as a young graduate student, thinking, "Wow, you know, this chief of military history, and and here I am getting this funding and a chance to <laughs> go to these archives and and seeing it now from a different point in the career. I think it'd be really fun to." see all the applicants coming through and, and all the things that you say that they're working on, see where the field is going sort of in advance. You get like a preview of these are books that will come out, you know, three, four, five years down the road. Uh, what, what a great opportunity. Exactly. Uh, so you got to do that. Um, you've also uh, taught courses at University of Richmond, uh, uh, lectured at Virginia Historical Society, um, so one thing that my, my friends who are retired tell me is that it's much busier than actually working. Uh, <laughs> it, it sounds like you're experiencing that too. Is that, is that accurate? Oh, that's absolutely, as our British friends would say, spot on, spot on. <laughs> um, uh, I, I think, um, the, uh, the concept of, uh, getting your, uh, uh getting your farewell gift from, uh, Acme Widgets Incorporated and uh, trundling off to, to uh, your favorite fishing hole, uh, then after a, a rough morning of, uh, of uh, you know, uh, uh, fishing, coming back uh, after a nice lunch, take a nap on the porch. Um, that, if that represented retirement, it was a time for most of us, I think, in the past. We're just, mm-hmm. We just got too much energy to, uh, to sit in the uh, rocking chair on the porch. Uh, and the difference, of course, uh, and of course, a youngster like you, Jerry, it'll be years before you find this out. 
and, and by the way, uh, my birthday best wishes to Maria as well. Um, oh, but uh, uh, you know, being able to stay busy doing the things that you really, really are excited about, that you really want to do. That's a whole lot different than dragging yourself out of the house at quarter to six in the morning, getting in your car, driving from northern Virginia suburbs into uh, Washington, D.C., <laughs> you know, on, uh, on the Shirley Highway. Uh, that's, um, <laughs> that's a challenge, you know. <laughs> You've got to keep a positive mental attitude, as my, uh, my old sergeant major used to remind me. PMA, sir, got to have PMA. <laughs> so a positive mental attitude at 6.15 in the morning when you're doing 20 miles an hour on a 60-mile-an-hour highway, everybody going to work. It's, it's a challenge, but now it's, it's marvelous. I, just, I look forward cool. to every day. Well, we're going to keep a positive mental attitude over the break we're going to take right now. We'll be back in just a few minutes. We're talking with Jack Mountcastle, uh, retired brigadier general and uh, leader of Battlefield Tours. I'm Jerry Prokopovich, and this is Civil War Talk Radio. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. Follow the Voice America Talk Radio Network on Twitter. We're at Voice America TRN. You'll get the latest fix on what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and general happenings that you should know about at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. Now you don't have to miss anything when you're away from your home or office. Just go to twitter.com forward slash Voice America TRN or follow along with us at Voice America TRN, the Voice America Talk Radio Network. We're on the cutting edge of social media. Can you keep up? These days, everyone is looking for information on staying young, healthy, and fit. The Voice America Health and Wellness Network is here to help you on your quest to better health and a better you. We talk about everything from diet, fitness, and aging to substance abuse, personal growth, mental health, and much more. Learn from our experts who cover health and wellness from traditional and holistic perspectives. Tune in to the Voice America Health and Wellness Network. Healthy living starts here. Ask the experts. Call toll-free right now, 1-866-472-5787. Hello? And ask our all-star team to answer your question. That's 1-866-472-5787. Thank you for calling. VoiceAmerica.com. You are listening to Civil War Talk Radio. If you have a question or comment about our program, please send an email to prokopovichg at ecu dot edu. That's P-R-O-K-O-P-O-W-I-C-Z-G at ecu dot edu. Now, back to Civil War Talk Radio. And welcome back to Civil War Talk Radio. I'm Jerry Prokopovich talking today with retired General Jack Mountcastle. Uh, Jack is a a Civil War tour guide, Civil War teacher, speaker, many other things, as we discussed a little bit at the end of the first uh, session. Jack, let's let's talk about the Civil War sites uh, that you and I both have taken people to. Mm -hmm. Uh, From a personal perspective, which... 
which one do you find most interesting? Um, I would, you know, uh, Jerry, I think that uh, the national battlefield parks uh, that began to be set aside as memorial sites back in the 1890s uh, with the, uh, uh, the requirement that the War Department maintain those really as, uh, as outdoor classrooms, and they did for a number of years before turning the responsibility over to the Department of the Interior and, and uh, within the Department of the Interior National Park Service, um, makes it very, very fortunate for uh, all sorts of visitors, young and old, uh, experts, buffs, uh, people who are just there for the first time, to visit sites. And of those that we, um, you and I, typically uh, find ourselves walking on what really is hallowed ground, I, I, um, I can't help but get especially excited at Antietam National Battlefield. And, and part of that is because it's a fairly compact field. You can, you can cover the, the different phases of that very, very desperate day's fighting on the 17th of September, 1862, um, really in, in, the, in the course of a, a single day, or if you're really pressed for time, uh, in a morning or afternoon, because it's not uh, spread out over, uh, over an extended period. And uh, one of the nicest things about Antietam is the fact that, that um, uh, because it's not threatened by um, urban development, it's not close to a, uh, a large uh, uh, you know, development area. In fact, <laughs> the little town of Sharpsburg, Maryland, still doesn't have a McDonald's in the middle of it. Uh, nothing wrong with McDonald's, but no. I like it the but way amen. it is. <laughs> uh, and, and the tree lines of the East Woods, the North Woods, the West Woods are there. Uh, that uh, old sunken farm road worn away by um, decades of, of iron... Uh, wheels on heavily laden farm wagons that was just referred to as that sunken road. Colonel Gordon, put your 6th Regiment of Alabama Infantry in that sunken road. And now, of course, you know, we refer to it as Bloody Lane, uh, based on the day's activities they had midday on the 17th of September. One of the sturdy stone bridges crossing Antietam Creek, uh, known just to the locals in the area of Sharpsburg, Maryland, little town, uh, as the Lower Bridge. But throughout history now, from 1862 on, we refer to it as Burnside's Bridge. And I, I think each time I'm standing there with people and I point to a, uh, a drawing done right after that 1862 battle of, an, of a fairly young elm tree, <laughs> Right by the uh, mm-hmm. uh, by the the, uh, the eastern end of that stone bridge, and then we point, and there it is. It's a witness to the battle, and it's still there, the same elm tree, and that just uh, that excites people, and they say, "Yes, yes, I understand now." And looking up at the hillside over which uh, the Union soldiers had to advance once they managed to get across Antietam Creek, they they could tell how difficult it was and how tired they must have been when they finally reached the high ground and were prepared to unleash their final assault on uh, Lee's hard-pressed uh, Confederate troops, only to be not denied that victory at, at the very last part of the afternoon by the uh, arrival of 
A.P. Hill's light division, who had marched 17 miles in seven and a half hours, coming up from Harper's Ferry, and saved the day on the 17th for Robert E. Lee. Well, that, that is one of the most evocative battlefields, and your, your description does it justice. It really is a, uh, uh, a, a great place to visit with, as you say, the, the things that they've they, that have kept intact. The tree lines are the same. Yes. The farms, uh, that they still have working farms on the battlefield. We talked about this with our guest last week, the, the director of North Carolina's historic sites. Uh, he talked about how they're doing that at, at uh, Benton. Uh, Benton uh, Bentonville is a marvelous example of what, uh, what the state historical uh, uh, program can do to try and maintain uh, uh, land that really speaks to you. when you're. St- and, uh, Bentonville is one of my favorite battlefields to visit. I've uh, been there a number of times with uh, soldiers and officers from Fort Bragg, North Carolina, the home of the 82nd Airborne, and uh, they, they really get uh, involved in this uh, as they look at the uh, advance of of uh, General Sherman's forces, and it's just uh, really interesting. I want to ask you about the experience of taking professional groups, taking soldiers on the Mm -hmm. battlefield, Mm -hmm. uh, as opposed to taking uh, Civil War, uh, you know, students of the Civil War, people who are traveling on their own dime uh, to see it. What what are the differences when you're taking a professional group? Well, um, if... uh, if you go back a bit in time to the early years of the 20th century, it became manifestly obvious to senior leaders in the Army who were ending the, the, the end of their active service, but they look back on their, on their youth. Um, um, and when they had been junior officers in the, in the Civil War, and they came to realize that in the, the, the small peacetime army, except for a little blip <laughs> during the Spanish-American War and the Philippine insurrection, most of the officers at mid-grade in the army had never seen a, 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 an army unit gathered in one place, any, any larger maybe than a regiment for a special event. And they had no real sense of, uh, of, of how long it would take to move an infantry division through a critical crossroads to an attack position. And so they began um, to take students from uh, schools like uh, the uh, Army Staff School out at Fort Leavenworth in Kansas, the General Service and Staff School, uh, and led by uh, one of their instructors, a Major Eben Swift. In 1906, he began to take those students Army officer students um, to uh, places like Chickamauga National Battlefield, uh, one of the very first of the uh, national battlefields established and under the purview of the War Department. Um, and they would, using maps from the period, right from the official record of the War of the Rebellion, the, uh, uh, the, the map atlas, they would go over the ground. And typically, they would do it on horseback. And they would, uh, they would look in detail at what had taken place, the decisions made. And the Army began to call this exercise a staff ride. Uh, and they would, uh, in the evening, they would get together. They would uh, have the, had the experience to read about the action beforehand, to then walk the ground, and then they would convene, and, and a very, very lively discussion would ensue on... Was this the right use of the forces at hand? Should they have perhaps 
conducted a major attack in another place, that sort of thing. And it really gave these younger officers an opportunity to pick the minds of their seniors and, and to come to realize that uh, looking back at a major conflict like the Civil War, from their vantage point, and let's say 1910, round numbers, and assuming that the, the people participating in a major conflict like the Civil War had some sort of special, uh, special gift of, of foreknowledge of what was going to happen is one of the greatest mistakes that a historian can make. You've got to try and submerge yourself into the experience as it was, as it was at the time. And uh, many, many uh, historians will remind students at uh, colleges and universities and academies throughout the country that it's very, very dangerous to, uh, to Monday morning quarterback decisions made by people who had no, no real sense of what it was going to look like, you know, 10 years out. They had to do the best they could with what they had as far as information, the troops available, the terrain, the weather, and so forth. And so that's, that's really uh, very uh, important. Uh, the Marines, are just as ex- uh, they are just as devoted as, as the Army uh, is to uh, getting out on the ground. If you go to national battlefield parks like Antietam, you'll see a tall stone observation tower built by the Army just so these Officers could get up and get a vantage point. At Gettysburg, there are three metal steel towers, observation towers, so that they could really get a sense of the lay of the land. It's not flat like you'd see it on a paper map. It's, it's got folds and it's got ridges, and it's, it's very, very important. And, that, and that's the difference between, I think, a staff ride and what I might call, I hope not too dismissively, uh, a historical picnic. What? Do, how, how do officers respond to, to these modern staff rides? Do they, uh, do they recognize that there's still something of value to be gained, even though the fighting technology is so different? Oh, the overwhelming majority of uh, officers, uh, and not just American officers, incidentally, <laughs> some of the most enthusiastic uh, 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 participants of staff rides that I've dealt with are uh, our uh, partners from uh, north of the border, from the uh, Canadian Armed Forces and from NATO nations, um, they really do get involved in it because they want to, they want to investigate uh, the, the whys and the wherefores, uh, not strictly just a timeline of, of what happened at a, a given hour in a, in, a, in a day's battle, but, but why it happened that way. And I've, I've found that most of the officers and uh, and let me just point out, uh, non-commissioned officers, uh, our sergeants, are, are deeply involved in this. And I would say that one of the most exciting and, and fruitful experiences I've ever had at Gettysburg was uh, while I was serving as a chief of military history, I was asked by uh, the head of our sergeant's major academy out at Fort Bliss to, if I would spend a uh, uh, a full day with uh, some prize-winning uh, sergeants major. That's the highest enlisted grade in our Army, who had, uh, as a group, had a group study project on the, the issue of how did sergeants do sergeants' business, um, you know, keeping the beans and bullets flowing at, at night in the dark 
before the, the sun came up and fighting commenced yet again. And we had a marvelous time with these NCOs because they had such, uh, such a, a personal interest in this. And the fact that, you know, they were, all of them, Vietnam veterans, uh, a number of them had served in Operation Desert Shield as a storm. So they had been in the dirt. They still had mud on their boots, and they understood the, the challenges involved. So it was great being out there with them. And I, th- I think our American military has is, is got a leg up on many other nations because uh, we, we promote our enlisted soldiers, both men and women, to the highest grades, you know, based on uh, sequential and progressive uh, professional uh, education and development, not just the fact that they're older. You know, uh, no, they got they got to show and tell at different levels. The uh, I was home visiting my mother this past week, and we were watching Jeopardy, uh, which uh, conflicts actually with this show, which makes things difficult for mom sometimes. But the uh, one of the questions, one of the contestants was from one of the army staff colleges, mm-hmm. uh, and he I had saw a question. that episode. <laughs> Oh, dear. Uh, I was yelling at him. (laughs) Which battle was influenced by Special Orders 191 found with the three cigars? And uh, to the the shame of America's military, he he answered Gettysburg. Uh, Were you yelling at the TV as I? (laughs) I cannot imagine why he would have said that. I guess he he just had one of those brain cramps, you know, that we all all sometimes get. But, gosh. I felt bad for him. Those, those, those smart soldiers from that Indiana regiment that said, we better take this to our captain. And yeah, thank goodness that. the captain didn't just smoke the cigars. He took, <laughs> he he, took he knew what to Special do with Order that. 191 right up to the regiment, eventually to McClellan. And all the way there. We're going to take another short break now, and we'll come back and talk more with our guest, uh, retired Brigadier General Jack Mountcastle, uh, joining us tonight. I'm Jerry Prokopovich. This is Civil War Talk Radio. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. Follow the Voice America Talk Radio Network on Twitter. We're at Voice America TRN. You'll get the latest fix on what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and general happenings that you should know about at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. Now you don't have to miss anything when you're away from your home or office. Just go to twitter.com forward slash Voice America TRN or follow along with us at Voice America TRN, the Voice America Talk Radio Network. We're on the cutting edge of social media. Can you keep up? Now you can take your favorite Voice America radio program with you anywhere. Sign up for our mobile app if you have an iPhone, Android, or BlackBerry. The Voice America interactive radio player, powered by Aircast, gives you the freedom to listen to any of our programs anywhere, live, and on demand. No registration is required. Listen to your favorite Voice America hosts and discover new ones. Download the Voice America mobile app for iPhone, Android, or BlackBerry, powered by Aircast. Visit the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. 
all the time. The number one Internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com. You are listening to Civil War Talk Radio. If you have a question or comment about our program, please send an email to prokopovichg at ecu.edu. That's P-R-O-K-O-P-O-W-I-C-Z-G at E-C-U dot E-D-U. Now, back to Civil War Talk Radio. And welcome back to Civil War Talk Radio. I'm Jerry Prokopovich, talking tonight with Jack Mountcastle. He is Brigadier General, U.S. Army, retired. He, among other things, leads battlefield tours uh, for the... Matterhorn Travel Company, uh, through which I had the privilege of meeting him this summer. Uh, he also uh, has taught classes at the University of Richmond. Uh, he has served as the Chief of Military History of the United States Army, uh, has many uh, other uh, hands in, in various aspects of the Civil War historical experience. And we've talked about several of them this evening. Uh, we were just talking about... Uh, staff rides, the the idea of military officers touring Civil War battlefields going back to the early 20th century as a way to learn about their profession. And uh, Jack, I wanted to ask you, how has your own uh, service experience influenced your understanding of the Civil War and its battles? Well, that's really, I think, one of the, uh, one of the key ingredients to, uh, <laughs> to to getting an enhanced appreciation for the complexities of uh, of warfare over time, um, you know, when I was uh, a young lieutenant uh, uh, serving in Vietnam, uh, leading a tank platoon of uh, five tanks, uh, life was basically pretty simple. I was mostly responsible for myself and my and the nineteen other soldiers that made up my uh, my little command. I tried to keep my tanks in good operating shape and and to execute the missions that we were given um, along the Cambodian border to the best of, uh, that we possibly could. But as I got older, based on my experience, uh, a second tour in Vietnam, and then a lot of duty in Europe, um, when we were still, you know, quite concerned about the USSR. Um, uh, and that's pre-Vladimir Putin days. We were we were concerned about the uh, Soviet Union back then and the Eighth Guards Tank Army and all of the, the forces that they uh, uh, had as potential adversaries for the U.S. Army in Europe. As we as we looked at our war planning, I found again and again myself sort of perhaps drifting a bit as we'd be riding along the East German border, along a ridge line, on a cold day, thinking about how would I defend this terrain if, if pressed by a sudden attack. And I would go back in my memory to uh, lessons that I taught uh, at West Point in a course that all cadets then and now are required to take. It's a two-semester course. It's called the History of the Military Art. And that's uh, quite a difference from 
military science. Military science classes teach the young cadets, uh, soon to be lieutenants, how to uh, conduct an, a successful infantry assault to seize Objective Alpha. Uh, the history of the military art goes back to the Peloponnesian Wars and examines a whole issue of why do tribes, uh, city-states, nations, why do they fight? And, and what's the impact of, of their, um, their repetitive res- resort to, to, uh, to warfare? And I had a, a wonderful director there at, at West Point who reminded us once over dinner that for him, the value of study of history was that it gave him a sense of scale and proportion that enabled him to make wise decisions as a battalion commander in the modern army, as a, reg- as a brigade commander in Korea. And, and, uh, and I found that to be absolutely true uh, in, in my case as well. And especially when you have a sense that, oh, this is the most difficult thing that's ever been uh, attempted, and then you put that in the context of our own American military history, and you, you realize, well, maybe not the most <laughs> difficult thing. <laughs> maybe I can do this after all, you know, although, you know, I am certainly not a perfect commander, and my soldiers are well-meaning, but not all geniuses either, and yet... <laughs> Put in, in perspective, you know, maybe it's not so terrible. I think let, me, let me push that in the opposite direction then. So studying the past, knowing about the Civil War, gave you, you know, some, some comfort and some, perhaps some guidance mm-hmm. in, in, as an officer. When you look back at what Lee faced at Gettysburg or what uh, McClellan faced at Antietam, mm-hmm. does your own experience having having led men in in parallel situations does that help you better understand what was happening in the 1860s indeed it does and at a uh, jury this the understanding here is at a visceral level at a gut level um next friday just a little over a week from now i'll be standing with the young men and women taking our course in the Civil War leadership in the Jepson School of Leadership Studies this term at uh, at the University of Richmond, and we'll be on our on our field trip to Gettysburg. We'll talk about the decision cycle that Robert E. Lee went through from the first day at Gettysburg, where he did not want to become decisively engaged, but it happened, and by late afternoon. His uh, guidance to uh, avoid a decisive engagement had been overcome by events. And then there's the issue of the second day and his decision to, to send uh, uh, General Longstreet's first corps, Longstreet is old war horse, around the, uh, the southern flank of the Union Army of the Potomac that almost succeeded in breaking the Union uh, grasp on that wonderful defensive position, that great fish hook shape that we're familiar with at Gettysburg, and then the third day. And, and, you know, Longstreet looks at his boss. The general, I've been a soldier all my life. I've seen soldiers fight by couples and squads, companies, and regiments. Sir, I tell you, there are no 15,000 men ever raid for battle that can take that position. He heard him out and then pointed across nearly a mile of open ground at the cemetery ridge being occupied by the Army of the Potomac and said, the enemy is there and we're going to strike him. 
Well, understanding his determination not to give up the initiative, to maintain the initiative, to make the, the enemy in Union Blue react to his offensive, I can understand that. I can see how uh, having won battle after battle, he was assured that one more push would do it. But the students are going to ask me, as they always do, but why didn't he listen to General Longstreet if he, if he depended on Longstreet so much? Why didn't he disregard General Longstreet's uh, uh, firmly felt conviction that that was not a good idea? And that, that interplay between commander and most trusted subordinate uh, really, does, uh, really does help. Uh, uh, having been in a position not too unlike that, <laughs> um, where um, I had to uh, make the choice when given an order that was very difficult to either salute and say, sir, I'll do my best, or if I felt that it was simply legally or morally wrong to salute and say, sir, I request to be relieved of command because I cannot in good conscience execute this order. And that's your choices as a commander. Now, let me ask a question that has come up over the years in different contexts. I've seen it argued in pages of magazines and elsewhere. Uh, other groups use battlefields like Gettysburg for uh, leadership training Absolutely. and inspiration. Uh, corporate groups do this. More and more. And th- there's an argument to be made that there's there's something wrong with uh, I'll use a harsh word with, with prostituting the, the sacrifice the Civil War soldiers made so that Corporation X can meet their quarterly profit target. Mm-hmm. Do you see anything to that argument? Uh, I can see how someone might, uh, might advance that position. Um, and yet, uh, from my personal experience, mm-hmm. uh, if a corporate group sees an opportunity using a, a place like Gettysburg, that, the Pennsylvania campaign, and, and I would say the campaign versus the culminating battle at Gettysburg, as a, as a marvelous metaphor for the challenges that they are facing as the situation keeps changing. They, they lose, for instance, their, their, the star of their uh, corporate headquarters who gets hired away suddenly by a competitor. Well, they could find a, a situation like Lee faced with the loss of Stonewall Jackson at, at Chancellorsville, very much like the, the empty feeling that they have when they say, we don't have anybody that could replace her. You know, our, our mm-hmm. best chief financial officer, she's left on two weeks' notice and gone. What shall we do? Or where you change the heads of a company and a new CEO comes in and he doesn't have time to stop doing what he's doing. My golly, there's George G. Meade. CEO of the Army of the Potomac just three days before he goes in, in ferocious combat with the guy that doesn't seem to be beatable, that would be Robert E. Lee. So uh, I've had several marvelous experiences with corporate groups. And you know, one of the nicest things, Jerry, is that mm-hmm. sometimes these uh, people in the group in blue jeans and comfortable walking shoes uh, that very seldom get a chance to speak up at board meetings back in their home office, Suddenly they'll say, well, you know, sir, this is sort of like the, uh, the Martin account here uh, two months ago. And the CEO will turn around and say, what's her name? Oh, that's Betty from uh, Purchasing. 
Oh, yeah? Really? Oh, okay. Well, maybe I'll get to know her a little better. And it's, uh, it's marvelous to see that happen. And I don't know that that happens in our you know, extended golf weekend at Las Vegas. Some well, team building operation at uh, you know um, Palm Springs. I think it happens more frequently at a, at a place where people are put under strain and they don't know how things are going to turn out. Well, there are so many topics to cover. We've just got uh, two minutes left. Let me quickly ask you: uh, the state of preservation of, of battlefields that you visit uh, improving, getting worse, the same? What do you see? Oh, I think it's. Uh, Thank goodness for the Civil War Trust, for the, the partners that our National Civil War Trust has, uh, you know, the, the Gettysburg uh, Foundation, the Shenandoah Valley Battlefields Foundation, uh, uh, other regional areas in North Carolina and other states that are working so hard to preserve uh, uh, battlefield land uh, through conservation easements and so forth. I think it's magnificent, and as I tell my, my students uh, who've never been to Gettysburg or haven't been since they were in Miss Grundy's fourth grade class and went on a field trip uh, years and years ago. They're in for a real treat when they hit the new visitor center, when they see uh, land that has been brought back as closely as possible to what it actually looked like in 1863. We are so fortunate in this country to have our national parks and, and, and a lot of state parks too. Virginia is very proud of our state historical parks and we're doing a good job in that respect. Well, they are wonderful to visit, and I'm looking forward to uh, the summer ahead, hopefully getting a chance to maybe do another Matterhorn tour and uh, work with you uh, professionally uh, uh, and personally. It's always a treat. I, I wish we had more time. We could easily go another hour just scratching the surface, but it, it's been fun talking with you, Jack, and uh, I hope we can do it again soon. Jerry, thanks so much for the opportunity. I, I certainly enjoyed it. And listeners, thank you as always for listening to Civil War Talk Radio. Thank you for embarking on a part of American history this week. Civil War Talk Radio with Jerry Prokopovich can be heard live every Wednesday at 4 p.m. Pacific Time, 7 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Have a good week. Thank you.